I would like to welcome you to the workshop series titled God's Financial Wisdom for Young People. The presenter, Tom Copeland, is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ who has been called to teach God's Word on finances since 1982. Tom has helped thousands of people learn and apply God's financial principles. Tom is the founder and president of Copeland Financial Ministries, and his financial moments are aired on numerous radio and TV stations. Now, here's Tom teaching God's financial wisdom for young people. I would like to welcome you to this series titled God's Financial Wisdom for Young People. Although the biblical principles taught in this series can benefit anyone of any age, the practical application, including the real-life case studies, will be focused on the financial challenges that young people face. By young people, generally I'm referring to people between the ages of 15 and 29 years of age. This is session eight of eight sessions on the topic, God's Financial Wisdom for Young People. And in this particular session, it's going to be focused on discerning God's specific will in managing money. Again, discerning God's specific will in managing money. First of all, I'd like to outline some biblical financial principles to discern God's specific will. Generally, the Bible provides biblical financial principles, that is, financial guidelines. However, there can be several options within those guidelines. Here's an example. Consider a young Christian couple or individual who have managed money according to biblical financial principles. For example, they have developed and implemented a budget, they have godly motives, spent wisely, and have been content with God's provision. During their quiet times, they sense God leading them to purchase a house and they are now seeking God's wisdom and specific direction as to what they should do. Many questions arise. What size of house should they buy? How much should they spend? How much should they borrow? And where should they live? As they reflect on these questions and inspect some of the houses for sale, they can see there are several options that are all within God's financial principles. So here's a question. What do you think an individual or couple should do in order to discern God's specific will? In general, and in, in this case, specifically with respect to buying a house, which is a big decision. Here's what I would suggest. First, in faith, pray and ask God for His wisdom, James 1.5, and His specific direction. And be sure to listen to God's gentle whisper as God spoke to Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Secondly, acknowledge that you're a steward of God's resources, Haggai 2.8. Three, prayerfully ask God to direct you through His Word and through His Holy Spirit. In Psalms 119.105, it says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. God can direct us through His Word. And when the God of the universe speaks to you, be sure to write it down and look for some consistency in your spiritual journal. If God wants you to do something in particular, He's going to direct you that way on a consistent basis. Five, be patient and wait for God's timing. Psalms 37.7 says, Rest on the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Six, prepare a cash flow plan or a budget beforehand to ensure that they can afford the mortgage payments, property taxes, utilities, etc., and provide a cushion in their monthly cash flow. Most people don't do that, and they end up um, with more financial commitments than what they can afford. Seven, obtain some independent godly counsel. Proverbs 15.22 says, A wise man seeks many counselors. Eight, be willing to do God's will, not your will. Luke 22:42, Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Number nine, understand that you're accountable to God. Romans 14, 12 says, so then each of us will give account of ourselves to God. And number 10, ask God to provide his peace, John 14, 27, or lack of peace with respect to a proposed decision. I'd say one other thing. If they see a house that they think is the one, do not rush out to buy it, but wait and trust God to make the house available after they have followed the biblical principles outlined above and have also experienced God's peace with respect to the decision. This can be a form of setting out a fleece like Gideon did in Judges chapter 6. 
If it is God's will, the host will be available when the Lord provides his peace and direction. Isaiah 64, 4 says, God acts on behalf of those who wait for him. And remember, God is in control, Psalms 103:19, and only God knows the future, Isaiah 46, 10. Develop and maintain a close personal relationship with the Lord. This is really important in discerning God's will. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. We can see that because of Jesus' close relationship with God the Father, Jesus could sense where the Father was working, and, and the Father could lead, lead Jesus, and Jesus would follow the Father's lead. Similarly, God wants us to have a close personal relationship with Him so we can discern God's specific will, which is God's best, rather than making a financial or other decision based upon our own judgment and our own limited knowledge as humans. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Jesus words, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, refer to an intimate personal relationship between Jesus Christ and those people who have accepted Christ as their Savior and Lord. And I'd say this, once you've developed a close relationship with the Lord, you will be able to hear God's voice in a sense. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Um, what, and understand that God will often speak to us through his word. He may not speak to you audibly. He hasn't spoke to me audibly, but he certainly speaks through his word. He speaks through his spirit by giving me a peace or lack of peace. He can speak to us in the spiritual realm by speaking to our heart through the Holy Spirit. So God can definitely direct us. I would say this. It's more than just making financial decisions within biblical financial principles. If you really want God's best, you need to, um, you need to develop a close relationship with the Lord. Because a lot of people think, well, here's the biblical principles. If I just stay within those, then I can make the final decision. You can, and that's not too, so bad if you stay within the biblical guidelines. However, I'd say this. If you really want God's best, uh, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And let God direct you. I also find um, if, if someone just stays within the principles and make their own decision, it removes the necessity of developing a close personal relationship with the Lord, which is so vital in really managing money. God's way and managing it uh, the best way overall. So here's some suggestions to develop your relationship with God. Because um, So among other things, you can discern God's specific will before you make any major financial decision. Here's some suggestions to develop your relationship with God. First and foremost, you need to have accepted Christ as Savior and Lord. If you haven't done that, then you're not going to have a personal relationship with God. Secondly, habitually spend quality time with the Lord in prayer, reading His Word. And allowing God through his word and his spirit to speak to your heart and your mind. Third, be still before the Lord, Psalms 46.10, and listen to what God has to say through his spirit. Psalms 85.8 says, I will listen to, to what God, the Lord, will say. Number four, regularly attend a Bible-believing church, learning more about God's word and how you can develop a close relationship with the Lord. Five, during difficult times, really focus on God and his word. God has a plan and a purpose in any trials. Another idea is ask other Christians for ideas on how they developed a relationship with the Lord. Next, meet with God somewhere where there are no distractions. This is really important, and you have plenty of time. As, as it says in Luke 5.16, but Jesus withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Number eight, when you sense direction from the Lord, ask God to confirm it for you through Scripture, Psalms 119.105, and also biblical counsel. Nine, depending on God, cast your anxiety upon Him because He cares for you, 1 Peter 5.7, Anxieties can distract you from hearing the Lord or discerning God's will. Ten, be patient and wait for God to direct you. Remember, God is in control, and God's timing may be different than yours. Number eleven, ask God to 
reveal to you the truth of a particular situation. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and teach you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Sometimes if you're about to make a major financial decision, like buying a home is an example, pray and ask God to reveal to you. I think of a fellow, he was about to buy a home, he almost put in an offer, he took another day to pray about it, and, um, and, and actually a few days to pray about it. And over the next couple days, there was a heavy rain. And when he went back to check that house uh, and have another look at it, there was water in the basement. So, you know, God revealed to him that there, there was leakage problems, which he didn't know about before. So praise God. God, and he claimed Jeremiah 33, 3, and God answered that prayer. God showed him some things, unsearchable things that he was not aware of. Number 12, persevere and develop a close relationship with the Lord. It takes time, but long-term, the benefits are really worth it. So persevere and develop a close relationship with the Lord. Here's another case study regarding available financing. A young Christian couple, Steve and Samantha, are married and considering the purchase of a house. They pray and they ask God to provide them with a really nice place. They have seen one that they like, but it costs $600,000. Since they are both working full-time, and have good jobs and the interest rates are really low, the bank approves them on a $500,000 mortgage. They have no savings but rather significant accumulated debt from universities, so they ask their respective parents to lend them $100,000 in total. They have not prepared a budget and they have never lived on a budget but typically live paycheck to paycheck, give very little to God's work, have very limited knowledge of what the Bible says on finances. However, they are now praising the Lord because they believe that God has opened the door for them to buy their nice home because the bank approved them on a $500,000 mortgage and their parents are willing to lend them $100,000 so they feel that they should step out in faith and purchase this house. Question, do you think God is opening the door for Stephen and Samantha to borrow the $500,000 and purchase this home? Provide a reference to scripture for each point. Here's my suggested solution. I do not believe that God's opening the door for them to purchase their home for $600,000 with 100% financing. And there, here's the reasons. God warns of the dangers of debt and discourages borrowing, Proverbs 22.7. And they're about to purchase a house with 100% financing. Secondly, the, the emphasis in Scripture is to save for future needs. And this couple has not saved a reasonable down payment, and they are in the bad habit of borrowing and buying and accumulating debt. In addition, Christ promised to meet our needs, but not necessarily wants and desires, and so it would appear that they're about to buy something that's beyond an, an absolute need. In addition, they currently give very little to God's work, and with the big mortgage, they will likely give even less. Number five, they have not followed God's admonition in the parable of the tower, which would necessitate preparation of a budget or a spending plan to see if they can afford this house, so they haven't done a short-term financial plan, which is a budget. They did not pray in order to discern God's wisdom, James 1.5, and God's specific direction. Isaiah 48.17 is an awesome scripture which says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you and who directs you in the way you should go. They haven't uh, gone to the Lord and asked God for specific direction. In addition, they did not develop a close relationship with the Lord in order to discern God's specific will as opposed to their own will. They haven't done that. They're just going out to, and planning to do something that they want to do. They still have outstanding debts from the university education, and Romans 13.8 says, let no debt re remain outstanding. And the fact they still have outstanding debts, and they've been in the habit of borrowing and buying, indicates they've probably been very poor money managers, so taking on a large mortgage could actually be disastrous. And by the way, mom and dad, for the $100,000 loan, will likely never get paid. And uh, so this, this couple needs to, uh, they need to learn how to save, Proverbs 21.20, 20, 
and, uh, and get a good down payment. That's the first thing they should do. And also pay down their debt from, from university. And uh, here's a key point about stepping out in faith. If borrowing a lot of money and buying an ex a house or buying anything, if borrowing and buying is stepping out in faith, and the non-Christians are doing it every day, it doesn't take faith to, to, to borrow and buy something. It takes more faith and trust in the Lord to wait upon God for God to enable them to, to pay down their university debt and save up a reasonable down payment. Uh, they haven't done any of that. Bottom line, Steve and Samantha are not stepping out in faith because they're violating several biblical financial principles and they have not developed a close relationship with the Lord and they haven't discerned what God wants them to do. They haven't even taken, um, they haven't even tried really in many respects. They've just been focusing on what they want and, um, and can they get the financing and thinking, well, if we can get the financing, surely God's opening the door. Um, well, not necessarily. So question, what could be happening from a spiritual perspective with respect to Stephen Samantha's decision to borrow a lot of money to buy their, their dream home, to buy this house? What could be happening from a, from a spiritual perspective and provide a reference to scripture for each point? So think about that. Here's what I had. I think the availability of credit is not likely God opening the door, but rather Satan tempting them to get into a lot of debt. Excessive debt causes anxiety, stress between a husband and wife, and often destroys the marriage relationship. So if the enemy can tempt them to go buy something that they want and borrow a lot of money and get into a lot of debt, he's going to do that because he wants to destroy, he likes destroying marriage relationships and putting people, making them a servant to the lender, Proverbs 22, 7. Also, the desire to have this home may reflect selfishness, Philippians 2, 3, and 4, or covetousness, or pride, or a materialistic mindset. These worldly or secular attitudes are contrary to, to Scripture. And um, so it could, they need to search God's Word and pray and ask God to reveal to them their hearts, their motives. Proverbs 19.2 uh, says, All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. So they need to look at their motives. And they have to be careful of external pressure. Now, we don't have any evidence of external pressure in this case study, but even in general, people have to be careful of external pressure. Sometimes you can get external pressure from friends or family when they're saying, hey, you're not amounting to anything. Go out and buy a house, even though people can't, can't afford to buy one. Or uh, there could be external pressure from uh, salespeople is another source of uh, external pressure. So um, I'd say this. Sometimes when we face a major financial decision, other people may pressure us to make that decision that they believe is best. And so it's critical that you ensure you're doing God's will and not someone else's will. You need to make sure that you've discerned what God wants you to do, not what someone else thinks you do, should do. In Deuteronomy 28.2, God promised, all these blessings will come upon you and accompany you. And there's a whole bunch of blessings uh, listed in Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you obey the Lord your God. So obedience to God is key, discerning his will and then obeying God. Um, scripture says we're individually accountable to God. We're not accountable to someone else, Romans 14, 12. And 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 says we are not trying to please men, but we're trying to please God. Question, have you ever experienced external pressure from someone to spend money or make a particular decision that you are not comfortable with? And that external pressure can come from lots of people. And if you're a young person, it can come from your friends to go out for dinner, or perhaps uh, an expensive coffee shop, or perhaps purchase the latest smartphone, or to join a friend on a holiday that you really can't afford. You can get pressure from friends, or you can feel, you know, everybody's enjoying these things. Why can't I enjoy them? 
the young ladies in particular often feel pressure to dress very nicely, wear designer clothes, get their hair done frequently, buying lots of makeup, perfume, etc., so as to attract the young men. So, and many young men like to purchase a really nice car, often taking on debt they cannot afford, in order to impress the young ladies and take them out to expensive restaurants. All of these reasons for buying and um, for buying something that you really don't need is a secular or worldly mindset. It's not a godly mindset, and it's not consistent with Scripture. For the young ladies, I would encourage you to consider First um, Peter three three to five, which says, "Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight." For this is the way the holy women of the past put, who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. In other words, focus on your spiritual growth and developing your godly character and not just on how you dress and look. I'm not suggesting you don't dress reasonably well, ladies, but that should not be the focus of your time and energy and money. Rather, it should be your inner beauty of an excellent godly character. And apply the same principle by looking for a young man of high quality godly character for a husband. Godly character is way more important than outward appearance in developing and maintaining a long-term personal relationship. For the young men, I would encourage you to ask God to reveal your motives for buying an expensive car or spending money on entertainment or whatever. Proverbs 16.2 says, All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. So just uh, focus on your motives, on what, what they are. I can say this, a Christian man or woman... Uh, can have worldly or godly motives with respect to money and material things. Some worldly motives would, uh, would include the following. Covetousness, and of course, Exodus chapter 20 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's ox, his ox or his uh, donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Selfishness um, is, of course, not a biblical thing. Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. Consider others more important than yourselves. Each of you should look not only at your own interests, but also the interests of others. Greed, which Christ warned against in Luke chapter 12. Pride is also a worldly motive. Why are you buying things? Is it out of pride? You want to look better than everybody else so it makes you feel better? That's, that's, a, that's a, an ungodly motive. That's a worldly motive. Or a lack of contentment. In Hebrews 13, 5, Jesus said, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. I can say this, worldly motives and any sin can act as a roadblock to really discerning God's will. Psalm 66, uh, 18 says, If I cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So, um, uh, and these are covetousness, selfishness, greed, pride, lack of contentment. These are typical sins in the area of finances. Here's some godly motives with respect to managing money. Being content with God's provision and not buying something that you don't need with money you don't have, that is on credit. Number two, giving generously. Three, unselfishness. Four, thankfulness to God. In other words, thank God for what you've been given as opposed to complaining what you don't have. And humility. For both young men and young women, I'd encourage you to prayerfully ask God to reveal to you why you spend money where you do. And is it really God's will? So you need to do that. In uh, Psalms 139, David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Pray that prayer and God will reveal to you your motives and why you're doing things. And Psalms 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. A lot of times this scripture is misinterpreted. People think 
uh, God is going to give me the desires of my heart. There's a prerequisite to let yourself in the Lord. That means focus on God, focus on your relationship with God, focus on God's word. And when you focus on God and his word, he'll actually give you, put some desires in your heart that are consistent with his will. So that's, that's, that's really important. Next point I'd like to say is God has a plan and a specific will for all aspects of our lives, including managing money and material things. Here's a common example. An individual or couple need to replace their automobile. So what do most people do? Today, most people would purchase a brand new vehicle with 0% financing, believing the lie that it's a good deal. And from a biblical perspective, what does God want them to do? God wants them to pray, search God's word, obtain godly counsel, and discern God's specific will before you make a purchase. It could be a new or a used car, or God may provide the cash, in other words, you may not have to borrow, or God can even provide a gift from a fellow believer. I've seen 60 or 70 cars uh, given from one believer to another believer over the last uh, 20 years, and, uh, and that can happen. Um, God can give you a better deal and come up with a better option often than what you have if you follow Isaiah 64.4, which says, God acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Sometimes you need to wait until God provides the cash. Given that God warns of the dangers of debt, Proverbs 22.7, that throughout Scripture, God met needs with no debt. There's lots of Scriptures on that. And since it's God's best that all Christians have no debt, Deuteronomy chapter 8, often if the purchase of something is God's will, God will provide the cash. This is particularly important for the discretionary expenses that are not absolute um, needs, but are more in the area of wants and desires. And I'm not saying you don't spend money on wants and desires sometimes, but you need to really make sure it's God's will, and you need uh, to me, you should make sure that you should, you should have the cash. I say this, most people will have to borrow to buy a, buy a house, that's practical, and some will have to buy borrow to buy a car initially. But from Scripture, we know that God's best is to have limited or little or no debt. And even if you've got to buy a car, say you're already into a car loan of five years and you're three years into it, I suggest continue paying off that car loan. Once the five years is up, set aside that same amount of money every month for the next five, seven years, keep that same car. Most cars will last at least 10 or 12 years, and then uh, you'll have the cash for your next car. And you won't, you won't have a car loan all your life. And then the next time around, if you keep the car for 10 years, let's say, you'll have 10 years to save up for your next car, and that makes it a lot easier. The next question to ask before you make a specific financial decision, do you sense God's peace or lack of peace regarding the particular decision? I find that God will often direct his children by providing his peace, John 14, 27, or lack thereof regarding a proposed decision. Um, if you're looking at a proposed financial decision, especially an important one, ask God to give you his peace. In John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Generally speaking, if you're married, both, both a husband and wife should have God's peace with respect to any proposed financial decision before you move ahead. Here's some challenges to discerning God's will. It's busyness and distractions are the most common hindrances for Christians in developing a close relationship with the Lord and discerning God's will in making financial decisions. Uh, I can say this, if you're always busy, how can you sense God's gentle whisper, 1 Kings 19, or how can you hear God's voice? Again, it may not be audible. It could be God through His Spirit speaking to your heart or your mind or through His Word. Um, how, how are you going to sense all of that? You're gonna, if you're too busy, you're not going to hear God is what it is. You're not going to discern His will. So in order to discern God's will, I think you have to have a regular quiet time with the Lord in prayer, reading His Word, and developing your relationship with Him. Another challenge to discerning God's will is sin. In Psalm 66, 
18, David said, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So sin can act like a roadblock to discerning God's will. It really can. Common sins with respect to finances, as we talked about, include selfishness, covetousness, pride, greed, lack of contentment, and dishonesty. And buying things you don't need on credit, which can reflect a, a very secular mindset. What's the answer? If you've been doing some things contrary to God's word, confess any sin to the Lord and repent of it. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Another challenge to discerning God's will is we have not learned how to listen to God. Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In this regard, Jesus was referring to spiritual ears in our hearts. That's why God can speak to us without using an audible voice. He can speak to us in the spiritual realm. If you're a born-again Christian and the Spirit of God lives within you, God can speak to the Holy Spirit that lives within you. Again, give you a peace or lack of peace. Uh, God can plant thoughts in your mind, but be careful. The enemy can plant thoughts in your mind as well. So you've got to make sure it's contrary to God's word. And you, you need to have sort of several confirmations. Uh, it needs to be consistent with God's word, consistent with biblical counsel, consistent with um, how God is speaking to you in your quiet times, and also consistent. You need to experience God's peace, certainly, before you, before you act. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. I have other sheep that are not of, not of this sheep pen. They too will listen to my voice. God is saying that he can speak to us. He can direct us. I can tell you this. When most Christians pray, they list out their prayer requests, asking God, God to fulfill their needs and desires. Nothing wrong with that. But they do not take time to listen to God. And so I'd encourage you, take time to listen to God. He can speak to you through his word, Psalms 119, 105, his spirit, give you a peace or lack of peace to speak to you through biblical counsel. He can speak to you in so many ways. And if you go to my... In advanced series, um, in-depth series, Discerning God's Will, I go into a lot more detail on these things. I'd say this, the most important aspect of prayer is listening to God to discern what God wants you to do. That's the most important aspect of, of prayer. Obedience to God is critical. Once you've discerned God's specific will, you need to be sure to obey God, do whatever God wants you to do. As James said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. And as Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And even if it's outside your comfort zone, God has promised, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Uh, God will provide you um, his direction. And the final thing, trust God for the results. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, as we know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. If you would like to learn more, go to copelandfinancialministries.org. For example, you can download a free copy of the Copeland Budgeting System, sign up for the Financial Moments or one of the online webinars, obtain some budget coaching, and access numerous other resources, the majority of which are free. Again, copelandfinancialministries.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter under Bible Finance. Financial Moments with Chartered Accountant Tom Copeland. Over the years, I've met many Christians who will pray and ask God for something, but they do not invest the time in communication with the Lord in order to discern God's specific will, which is God's best. Sometimes God's best is a no answer, because we've asked for something that is not good for us. At other times, God's answer is wait, as our request may be appropriate, but the timing is not right. Isaiah 64.4 says, God acts on behalf of those who wait for him. God loves us unconditionally, and He always has His best in mind for us. Jeremiah 31.3 says that God loves us with an everlasting love. 
So when you pray, be sure to ask God for His wisdom and His specific direction so you can discern God's will, not your own will. As Jesus said to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. Luke 22:42. To learn more, check out copelandfinancialministries.org.